Okay, so we looked at the first part of this chapter last week, and do you notice anything different about the third chapter? Let's just say after verse 8, unless you really want to include verse 8, which I know some of you, if you do, then that's fine. Uh, do you notice anything different about the third chapter compared to chapter 2 or 3, or 1, I, that is? Does it read a little bit more promising or positive? Or there's already starting a coming to terms, if you will. Um, of course, I, you know, your mileage may vary on this, but I'm reading this, and I'm, um, I think Solomon's just simply writing observations. He's not necessarily writing his personal belief system here as much as he, he is describing more of a human um, perspective or outlook on life. And, um, you know, I, what's interesting is that where, where we're going to pick up or where we're going to kind of deal with some tonight really is very reflective of the very end. So you don't have to go back to the last verse of the last uh, chapter tonight, Brian, because it's right here in chapter 3 for us. So, um, and, and so then, you know, and we, we touched on these a little bit last week, but, you know, asking the question, what, what, what has the worker, or excuse me, what profit has the worker from that which he labors? And then I have seen, verse 10, the, the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied or to have given themselves over to um, the God-given task. Um, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in our hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Um, so God has a complete view of things. And we have a partial view of things. There's this idea that, that God, and I kind of like this idea. It makes sense to me, although I, it might be too simplistic. I think when we go to heaven, we'll learn that it was a whole lot more complex, maybe. But it's the idea that God dwells outside of time. He knows the end from the beginning. The idea of God dwelling outside of time uh, has, and I, has been best described, at least to me, is that with God there's no past, there's no future, there's just one big now, which is really hard for me to wrap my head around. I don't know if that helps or, or you want to... You're, you're thinking it through, right? No, you're not thinking it. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Well, <laughs> you're not thinking at all. Okay, that's why you didn't get to read tonight. So anyway, um, and I, to me that does make sense, but it's, it's also not complete. Um, because the incarnation, what's the incarnation? Christ becoming man, God becoming man, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son becoming human. Um, 
He does it in this time frame. He does it in this time-space continuum. And the scriptures tell us that is when the fullness of time have come. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time have come, he, he dies for our sins just at the right time. Romans 5, 6 talks about that. And so, so God has this incredible sense of timing. Would you agree with that or not agree with that? <laughs> it depends on the time, the day, right? You were smiling. No, no, I want to hear this. <laughs> come on, come on, please. All right. God doesn't have an incredible sense of timing? Okay. True, but I think sometimes... I think sometimes in the, it's not even in the heat of the moment, right? But just in living everyday life, we forget that, that truth. Yeah. I think we forget a lot of truths about God, to be honest with you. I think there are people who would agree with you probably all the time. Yeah, God's perfect. And the Bible states that, right? We're, we're talking about a truth. And they feel that way? They claim that? They live with that promise until God's timing is no longer perfect for them. And that's the problem. Because what, what they have done is that they have no longer accepted God's sovereignty in a situation. And that is easy to condemn in someone else. It is harder, I think, for you to stay in that place when your life is going to the theological place of eternal punishment in a handbasket, right? And it doesn't make sense, and you don't know why and you've been a good girl or a good boy, right? And you love God, and you honor God, and things happen that you do not want to have happen in your life. And so then you start to question. You start to question. Because we can't change time, but events, time, changes us, right, Bill? So you mentioned death. So your loved one dies. Friend of yours dies. Are you... Is it right to be angry with God and question God's timing that Brian says is perfect? That the Bible says is perfect. Okay, yes. Are, are we... Are we right to do that? Is, that? is that normal for a Christian? It takes a while. Yeah. Because you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because uh, you've lived that. Um, let me suggest something. This, thanks to Harv, this popped into my head. So this is, this is right out of the oven. And it may have to go back in to get baked a little bit longer. I don't know. 
But when we find ourselves questioning the timing of God, the God who is perfect, and when we find ourselves upset with the events, time changes us, that happen in our life that we definitely do not want to have happen. Again, going back to the death of a loved one. And we sense some type of confusion, okay? Anger, grief, disbelief, all these things. And we ask God why. Are we directing all of that emotion to the wrong thing? What am I mean by that? 1 Corinthians 15 says that the last enemy that will be defeated is what? Death. So sometimes are we just, is, is, is it possible that it's just raw emotion, raw anger, misdirected? Rather than questioning God's timing, where we, what we really should be angry about is that death still reigns. And the last enemy that will be defeated, because was, it was defeated, but not in fullness, defeated at the cross, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Because what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? It had to do with the death of Lazarus. We'll get there in a year and a half. I, I don't know. Um, it'll be no. <laughs> well, ah, especially if I take a break for Advent, which I probably would, perhaps, or maybe he was weeping with them at the death uh, and the loss of a loved one. Didn't really make sense to me that he raised Lazarus from the dead other than a messianic sign, which is huge, by the way. Um, but yeah, I think, like I said, I, a lot of different possibilities. So, yeah, in God's timing then, I think sometimes when we question God's timing, uh, we're having trouble accepting that which is happening, which I think is normal. Um, Because if you go through bad things in life and all you just say is God's timing is perfect, he's perfect, it's fine, it's good, I, I start to wonder, you know, if you're on that even of a plane, I don't know, you know, that's just me, I guess. Um, are you that or I really envy that, one of the two? <laughs> and that could be the case, right? So, I mean, some people are just that way. They're, they're, they're almost a-emotional. Um, I guess I've got that, some of that Jewish blood in me, which, anyway. So, he's put eternity in our hearts, which I think is really important. And we, we did look at that a little bit last week, but I, but I, I think, what does that mean? Okay, I've got my own views on this one. Anybody want to weigh in? What does it mean that he has put eternity in our hearts? (laughs) 
We last forever, and we know it. Remember, it's been planted. He put eternity in the heart. Okay, we last forever. Oh, we're in a Pentecostal meeting now. Anyway, no, I'm kidding. Uh, Cindy. Can or will what? Okay. Good point. We never give up believing that we can or will live forever. Yeah, I think that's good. There's a desire in our heart to be with him. Anybody else? Nobody else. I think it, it's really, the more I thought about this, I don't know if I can express this well. The fact that God has put eternity in our hearts, it can all, I think it, it can all, I, and I like all your answers, by the way, but I think it can also mean that, uh, that we comprehend or that we understand that there is much more out there than we can even see. Or understand. In other words, I understand that there's a whole lot out there that I do not understand. You know, and, and it, it almost is the reverse of, I was working with a guy last semester doing spiritual direction with him, and he says, I don't know what I don't know. Well, which is obvious about all of us, right? We don't know that we don't, what we don't know. But, but I think there's this understanding that there is so much more out there. Um, than we can comprehend. And to me, that ties right back into God is perfect. But I'm living in a very imperfect world with a bunch of imperfect people. Uh, Me, myself, being imperfect. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit, as all of you. But we're in this place that is really runs along the lines of the kingdom of God, that we are, we are God's children, we are here, we are saved, uh, but we are not here, we are not fully saved completely yet. And we won't be until we enter into eternity. So um, there's a whole lot more out there. Um, than what we really understand. Verse 12 and 14, which is fascinating to me, because uh, ESV, they begin with the words, I perceived, correct? I don't have it with me tonight. Okay, it says, I perceive. New King James says, I know, verse 12, I know, 14. Uh, NIV says what? I know, you know. Okay, you know that. Okay, all right. Um, So, I think part of where... And the thing is, how do I say this? And I'm not going to say it right. Solomon is not being incredibly clear here. Uh, throughout this whole book, actually. But yeah, I don't think he's being incredibly clear here. But I think, I think he, he's, he's tapping into this idea that God has put eternity in our hearts. All right, He just didn't say it and leave it. 
In other words, he, 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 he said or wrote, whatever you want to say, um, said verse 11, and then he brings it forward in 12 and 13 and 14. Because I think what he's saying here, he says, I know, I perceived. He's talking about the struggle of how to understand uh, uh, humanity that is, that is caught between time as we know it in, in eternity that we really don't have any concept of. Remember what I said about God dwelling outside of time? And that for God there is one big now? Which makes sense, but again, the more I think about it, the more it really doesn't make sense to me anyway. But there's, there's so w- what is the realm of eternity like? It's the spiritual realm, right? What is it like? It, it, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard. I think it's really hard to really understand, and I don't think the Bible really gives us a whole lot of specific insight into what it is really like to be in this spiritual realm, to be in God's presence. But I think to be in the eternal realm means to be in God's presence because he and he alone is eternal, correct? I mean, this goes back again to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, right? In the beginning, happening before it ever even began, it was happening, right? Um, This idea of, Happening in the past, but continuing in the verb usage. And, and so um, he's wrestling with this, and he, he's talking about doing God's business and entrusting God's sovereignty. I know that nothing is better for them to rejoice and to do good in their lives, verse 12, and that also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor, it is a gift of God, okay? And then to top it off, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. That's what? Eternity. It's the same, it's the same Hebrew word, same base of the Hebrew word. One's a noun, one's a verb, okay? Um, but so, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, all right? What does it mean to do good in your life? It's like he's, he's put eternity in front of us and then he, he picks us up and he plants us right back into our, our present setting. Does that, does that make sense? It is relative. But there's also a constant in here because this word good in the Hebrew, yeah, I don't either. Uh, but it, it can refer to, to qual- a quality of something, but it has moral overtones. And it can change every time you make a choice, but if it has moral overtones, if we're to do good, John chapter 3, Nicodemus says to Jesus, what? Good master. What did Jesus say to him? No one is good except God. What is Jesus really saying here in John chapter 3? That he is God. I think he's claiming deity here, to be honest with you. And that God is good. Right? And, And so... Um, 
So I think, I think this, there's, a, there's a twofold thing in this. There's an a, a idea of a, a, of a quality of something, but also it has moral overtones. And if it has moral overtones, it puts this all on the same plane. See how that works? Or do you see how that works? Right, so when I, but I said, where do we get our morality from? Get it from the Bible, right, the scriptures. Okay, so that's our, 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 our uh, benchmark and our starting point. There are certain things that I do really well, and as I'm getting older, those things are becoming fewer and fewer. So I have a saying that there are things I do really well, then there's everything else. So, like, well, for instance, um, sometimes uh, we don't. Uh, it reminds me of the joke about the preacher and the lawnmower. No, anyway, um, I've told you guys that too many times. Um, well, for example, uh, I, I hate to use myself as, as the example of a story. Mary had a friend whom she worked with, and her husband was a lawyer. And he wanted me to install a marble surround around his fireplace in his good catch, man. So that was good. Speaking of good, okay. He, he wanted me to install a marble fireplace around his gas stove in his bedroom that he was going to lay on his bed every night and look at. And I said, no, I don't think I'm, I have the skills for that. I don't think I'm good enough. And I said, I said you know, I really don't want to make you mad and make a mess of your, your, your bedroom. And he said to me, I'm going to assume the risk. And that made it worse. <laughs> so I did... The goodest I could, okay, and it turned out well. Um, I didn't break any land speed records, nor did I want to, because I, I, I remember it was funny because I worked on it. It was a Saturday. He was off. He laid on his bed the whole day and talked to me as I worked on this fireplace. <laughs> I mean, he was clothed and, you know, just laying there on the bed, you know. And, but, you know, um, but I, I was really nervous. This guy's an attorney, for goodness sake. You know, uh, but he, he loved it. So I, you know, so sometimes you just, yes, I understand what you're saying, that good is a relative term. But there's nothing better than that is what the scripture here is telling us. Even if your good is not as good as my good or my good is not as good as your good, or if it's good enough or not good enough. I had a friend of mine, he wanted to start a business and call it Close Enough Construction. I just thought that was really a dumb name for uh, a building company. He, uh, we, we, we called it something else, and within a couple months, he hightailed it off to Hawaii. So much, and then he came back to me years later, wanting me to be a silent partner in his business. Uh, no, I'm, not, I'm gooder than that, okay? But again, what, he, what, what he's saying here, there's nothing better than that. Um, so, okay, there's nothing better than to do good, 
It's really talking about vocation. It is talking about work. Um, to do good in their lives, and that, that every man and woman should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor as a gift from God. All right? How do you deal with this being retired? Some of you probably wish you were going to go back, would go back to work so that you wouldn't have to work so hard and be so good at working hard. <laughs> I don't know anybody here who does that, but anyway, so, yeah, um, or Daniel, who's always moving rocks. One of these days, I think we have to do a church picnic, not tell him, and show up there and just watch him move rocks, um, and uh, I'm sure he would not appreciate that, but anyway, um, what, does that, what does that mean to you guys, retired? You're going to turn those on? Thank you. Wow, that's good. <laughs> okay, it means what it says. Um, and, and to be able to enjoy the fruit of your labor. And, and it's a gift from God. So that tells me that's valuable. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lies in whom there is no variance nor shadow of turning, James chapter 1. So he's really accentuating the goodness of God here in this time frame. Even though he has put eternity in our hearts. Um, Enjoy the good of all labor. That's verse 13. Does it say anything about being joyful there in verse 13, Cindy, on the ESV or in the ESV? Take pleasure, okay. Um, oh, 12 is what I'm looking at. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice or to have joy or to be joyful. Okay, so uh, it, it's this calling here is that, that we're to enjoy that which we have produced. Enjoy your nice home. Enjoy your not-so-nice home. I don't know. Your home that's good. Um, and, and, and recognize that, that God is, is giving you these kind of gifts. Now, if that's the case here, if that's the case here, what is eternity going to be like? Unimaginable. Eye is not seen, nor ear is heard, what the Father has for those, right? So imagine what eternity is going to be like. If, if this is like a preview, um, and I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken away from it. Uh, God does it that man should fear before him. So he's um, he's talking here about God's eternal purpose as God's eternal plan. So is the fruit of your labor and you enjoying the fruit of your labor and you doing good work 
and you being joyful about the fruit of your labor, does that have some type of eternal component attached to it? I think that's what this is saying. Although I have no idea exactly to what degree. Am I making any sense? I'm getting some looks. I'm getting some getting a little bit of head nod. You know, you know again, we looked at the parable uh, of the talents in the Gospels a couple of weeks ago. And if you have been faithful in few things, I will make you ruler over many. So there is, there is some type of eternal component that's, that's um, I think, attached to this. But, um, but I don't know what it is. How's that? You know, so, Ken, you almost had something to say. Nope. I'm fine, too. How's that? Are you good? Are you good? He's gooder. All right. That's what I was waiting for. Okay. Um, See, the, the thing is, and, and one of the commentators wrote on this, and I don't know if I agree with this, so I won't tell you who it was. I don't even know if I remember who it was. Is uh, He was saying that no one can change God's will. And that his ways are beyond our understanding, which I agree with. Can we change God's will? What's that? Yeah, but... If, yes, at Sinai. I knew... I, I had... Thanks for... Yes. Okay. But then he declares, and I and I uh, I don't remember where it is. Somebody with an electronic Bible could probably look it up. And it's King James. It's I am the Lord. I repenteth not, or I change not. And and so. But then again, you brought up the idea of Moses. Do do you think do you think God was just bluffing? I tend to don't see God doing that. Although, as soon as I say that, uh, 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 Luke, the story in Luke where Jesus is with the, the, the disciples on the Emmaus Road, and he pretends to keep going, and what did they do? They said, why don't you, it's getting late, why don't you come and stay with us? So I said, you got great stories. You know, they don't know who he is yet, right? So... Sometimes I think when I'm asking these questions, I think, did you raise your hand? You did raise your hand. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that. And I don't think that Abraham... 
Offering Isaac was God changing his mind. I don't know if that's what you were referring to or not. Oh, it definitely was. Oh, okay. I think there's some... Um, I think there's 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 a lot to consider in that, Brian, um, and I'm trying to. It's right here in the third chapter too. Um, where it says that he tests humanity. And I don't know why I can't find it. Um, Yes, I said in my heart concerning the sons of men, God tests them. Now, what does that mean? I think that means what it says. God tests them that they may see that they are like animals. Boy, isn't that encouraging. So, in other words, the test is not so much for God to roll the dice and see what you're all about as it is, I think, for God to present situations in your life so that you see what you're all about, that you see it, rather than, you know, it, you know the three-way conversation between the twin, Trinity. What do you think he's going to do? You know, I, I don't, because God has foreknowledge, does he not? Knowing the end from the beginning. So this idea of testing, I think, is, is more about our own revelation. I thought of another example, too, uh, but then it just went out of my, bless you, Sodom and Gomorrah. That was it. Sodom and Gomorrah. Yep, yep, yep. Sodom and Gomorrah. I can enter that out now, too. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so, so that which, whatever God, uh, so nothing, nothing can be added to it, nothing can be taken away. God does it that the man, that men should fear before him. So, nothing that you do adds to what God is doing. Nothing that you do subtracts from what God is doing. So why do anything at all? That's a trick question. Okay. I don't believe that. But why do anything at all? Let's go back to it. You have not because you ask not, or you ask amiss that you may consume upon your own lust. James, again. James, by the way, is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. So I think it really speaks into this. Um, by the way, Proverbs 31 tonight, if you haven't read it yet. So, and then we start a new month tomorrow. So Proverbs 1 tomorrow. Um, so I think a lot of this is because, I think a lot of this is a mystery. 
why do something Brian said? So because you get hungry. He just did that on a Saturday watching me set marble. Yeah, anyway, no. But uh, um, so here's the thing is, is my participation in that which God has ordained for me to do doesn't necessarily add anything to that which God is already doing, but I'm simply prompt, being prompted and then responding to that prompting of the Holy Spirit to do these things. Does that make sense? Hang on just a second. Because I, <laughs> so likewise, me trying to take away from it is perhaps God really reining me back in, and that's not really me taking away from anything at all. It's just me being under the direction, hopefully submitted to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'll raise somebody else up, but I'm going to do this, and you're going to lose out. He does it to Ahab in the book of Isaiah. So it makes sense. um, But it's also not something that I want to, to, now hopefully you understand this. Hopefully I understand this, okay? It's not something that I want to just throw out to chance. In other words, if, if God has convicted, led, called, says, this is what I want you to do, fill in the blank, whatever that is. How do I say this? You best do it. it you just need to be responsive in, uh, to the leading of the Holy Spirit and to be obedient. Um, exactly. And hopefully what motivates that and I, I've known people who have different motivations, right? And motive is key. Motive is huge. But I know, I know one guy, and he, he's, we laugh about this, but we're, we're, he's serious, and I'm serious, but he says particularly about himself, I didn't want to be in the ministry. I got drafted. And, and unfortunately, that's kind of shaped his whole ministry. And not necessarily in a good way. Especially for you guys who are career military, you understand this. Particularly some of you who are in there with people who are drafted. I just want to get my two years in and I want to go home, right? And, and of course, you know, and first-termers were that way, right? Even if they, if they weren't drafted. They just want to do their four and, and jam, right? And... Um, it took a sense of commitment to do a 20 or a 30 or, like Bill, a 50. Um, but uh, anyway, so things change, things change over time, and time has, doesn't change me, but ch- I can't change time. There you go. So um, that which is, and so we, we're going back to what he said earlier, and I'm going to quit. Uh, and I'm just going to read it, and I'm going to be quiet. That which has already been, and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. Now, he's setting us up for what we're going to jump into next week. All right, this is a transition verse. I'll explain it. Read it 
through a few times, and I think you'll, you'll see it. Um, but it's a transition piece right here. Uh, and remember, there's nothing particularly inspired about chapters and verses. Because when this was originally written, it, there were no chapters, there were no verses. It's just written out, okay? So he's transitioning here. Um, but nothing is taken away. God does it that men should fear before him. That's where I really want to pick off next week. Let's talk about the fear of God. Because there's a lot more to talk about. And 